Welcome to the sermon podcast for New Life Church's Cabot Campus. We are located at 3400 West Main Street in Cabot, Arkansas. Our service times are Sundays at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. To find more information about what we believe, upcoming events, and more, please visit newlifechurch.tv or you can text the word Cabot to 88000. How are we doing today? Good to see you guys. Everybody should be in a good mood. Extra hour of sleep. The Hogs won yesterday. Come on. First time ever in Gainesville. So, you know, who knows? Who knows? This is our year. Probably not. Probably not. But, hey, winning is good versus not winning. Uh, Beautiful day out there. Uh, I appreciate you guys being in church because the weather's really beautiful. And there might be other things that you would be doing right now. Although... I am tired of the weather playing tricks on us. I'm just, I, I just want, I'm ready. Let's just do fall, all right? And then let's do winter. How many of y'all like cold weather? Okay. Man, so good to see so many Christians in the house today. That is, that is good. Uh, my wife does not like cold weather, not even a little bit. And we're still praying for her all, all the time. We are starting this new series today. On the end times, I do want to just upfront say this. If you are looking for an exhaustive study of end times, end times prophecy, revelation, all of that, this is not going to be that. Uh, that takes years to study. Uh, although I've mentioned this before, I think maybe one of the better uh, synoptic uh, works of literature on the end times, last days, that brings in a good balance and a good a biblical reference to the times we're living in is a book called The Tipping Point. So if you're interested in spending more time really looking into the end times, revelation, prophetic uh, prophecy around the end time, that is a great resource. Uh, but, but what we do want to do is give you some fundamental biblical truths that just help you see what's happening and understand why it's happening and then also how the Lord would want us to respond. So end times, and, and some of you are like, I don't even know what you're talking about, end times, and, and I'm glad that you're here uh, because this is what we believe as believers is, is drawing near to when we get to go and be with Jesus in heaven. And so it's incredibly exciting, but I will say that if you have misconceptions around it, even depending on your upbringing, that type of thing, it can also, as soon as we start saying end time, some of you can be like, get a little nervous, anxious, even scared. And I get that. But there are a lot of signs that are out there right now that are indicators that we're living in the last days. Signs like this one. When businesses are opening that are openly and willingly inviting people to bring their cats into a place where they're going to drink coffee, you know the spirit of the Antichrist is working around, all right? Like, uh, you know, like you've heard people say, like, if you're ever, like, around a cult, they'd say, don't, don't drink the Kool-Aid. Don't drink the coffee there in that place. Don't, don't drink it in there. But I also want you to notice it says cats. Multiple. 
because that's how these people roll, okay? Like, they're not bringing one little kitty in there. They're going to have, like, seven of them, all right? And uh, I, I'm, I take jabs at cat people. My mom's a cat person, okay? So I can't, you can't take me that seriously because I love my mom. Uh, but but I, do, I do think that, you know, that they are special people. Uh, how many of y'all love cats? How many of cat people up in the house? Okay, we're going to go ahead and open the altars right now. And I just feel led by the Holy Spirit. No. Uh, it's fine. You know, this is what's interesting. Like, I'll take digs at cat people. And it seems like every time I take a dig at cat people, we get more cat people in our church. And I think that they might be like planning like, hey, if, if we get enough of us, we'll take everything over, right? Uh, but, but all that joking aside, we need to look at the truth about the end times. And I wanna answer a question that in a lot of ways is like the elephant in the room question right now. Why is it important that we keep our eyes on everything that's happening in the Middle East? Uh, specifically, on everything that's happening in Israel. Why do we need to pay attention to that? It's a fair question. It really has a simple biblical answer because almost the entire Bible is about that area of the world and specifically Israel. Almost everything that you read in his word is connected to that land. Israel is where our savior came to. It's where he was born in Bethlehem, five and a half miles outside of Jerusalem. It is where he was crucified, buried, rose from the grave. And it is where he is going to return. It's where he's gonna return to. Like physically, that is where Jesus will manifest himself when he returns. Specifically, the word says that he will come and enter into the old city of Jerusalem through the Eastern gate which is really interesting because when you go to Jerusalem and I've walked along the Eastern wall and seen the Eastern gate, that gate has been completely sealed off by one of the, the empires that, that took over and that, that had control over Jerusalem and over Israel over the th couple thousand years that that was the case. They blocked it off. They sealed it off because they think, well, if Jesus is coming back, we're just not gonna let him in the door which we all know is not gonna work. But it's also interesting because it means that people who would say they don't believe in Jesus, who would say they hate Christians, there's still something in them and in their heart that realizes there is truth to this. Otherwise, they wouldn't feel any need to block off the door to keep Jesus from going in where he's gonna go in. But it's important that we have confidence that we have a little bit of, of, a, of a Holy Spirit smirk about the days that we're living in, our role within it, what God is asking us to do. And so that's what we're gonna talk about today. I'm gonna look, I'm gonna spend most of the morning in Matthew 24. And in this text, Jesus is on the Mount of Olives after he just spent some time speaking, preaching, rebuking in the courtyards of the temple. And we're gonna read through this. It's a lot, of, a lot of scripture today. And then we're gonna circle back and answer that question. Why, why care about Israel? Matthew chapter 24, starting in verse one. Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came to him and called his attention to its buildings. Okay, so specifically the buildings 
of the temple. Okay, Do you see all these things? He asked, truly, I tell you, not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen? And what will be the sign of your coming in the end of the age? And Jesus answered, watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name claiming that I am the Messiah and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but, in, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of birth pains. Then you will be handed over to be per persecuted and put to death, and you will be hated by all nations because of me. And at that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. So I wanna pause right there because there have been so many wacky, crazy prophecies that have been put out there. I mean, about all kinds of crazy things. You know, who's gonna be president and how they're gonna be made president and, and all these things, okay? And, and you've gotta be aware of when that is just craziness, okay? But you also have people out there that believe that there is nothing that has happened in the supernatural for 2,000 years. There are people that believe that there are no prophecies, that there are no miracles. For 2,000 years, there hasn't been one miracle that's ever happened on earth. Come on. What we have to fight for is balance. What we have to fight for is what does the word of God tell us? So you can't throw the baby out with the bathwater and just say, most of the people are out there giving us these prophecies and everything, they're crazy, and then they're asking for money. So I'm not gonna listen to all that. But you can't also be in the other dish to say, yeah, there's nothing supernatural. The Holy Spirit is not working. His gifts are not active, working, and alive. They are. We have to have balance. And that's what we're trying to center on through this series. What does the word tell us? Where does God want us to rest within these things? Verse 12, because the, of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. I wanna pause there again because when you look at that and you say, yeah, man, the world is wicked. Look how wicked the world is. But it's saying the love of most will grow cold, which means that there was a love there to start with and that love went cold. So what is he talking about? He's talking about believers. He's talking about the love of believers. So you've heard us say this before, that, that the problem with the church is not the sin of the world, but the problem with the sin of the world is, or the problem with the world is the sin in the church. In other words, it, it's, it's where the, the church, it's where believers are dropping the ball that honestly is creating some of the most damage in a lost and dying world. A couple stats that are not very encouraging. 70% of Christian men are looking at pornography weekly. 70% weekly. 40% of Christians don't read their Bible once a month. And many of them don't even believe that the Bible is holy scripture. Like they, they don't believe that it's without fault. God used human 
authors to write exactly what he wanted without error. It is holy. It carries 100% of the full authority of God, the word. You have to be very careful what you choose to ignore and what you choose to pay attention to. Verse 13, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. I'm gonna skip forward a few verses to verse 36. But about that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the son, but only the father. As it is in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and being given in marriage. Up to the day Noah entered the ark, and they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be in the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in a field, one will be taken, the other one will be left. Two women will be grinding with a handmill, one will be taken, the other left. Therefore, keep watch. Because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this. If the owner of a house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready. Because the Son of Man will come in an hour when you do not expect him. So how do we get ready? How do we stay ready? How do we stay vigilant? But how do we do all of it without being weirdos? Without being fearful and anxious and surrendering peace? Again, the end times really is wrapped up into what is happening in the Middle East. And it is sovereign. It is providential will. Nothing is going to change it. But the Bible tells us the story of how the nation of Israel first began and how it started with Abraham. A lot of us remember this story from Sunday school. But you had Abraham and you had Sarah and God had given a promise to Abraham that, that he would birth a nation and that that would be God's people. But then all of a sudden Abraham is 100, Sarah is 90, right? So even just thinking about that is a little bit nasty, but... But God comes to him and says, I know y'all were planning on retiring and stuff, but instead you need to take a trip to Babies R Us because you're going to have a baby, right? And then he gives them the promise who would become Israel, all right? But he said, and, and this will be the sign of this covenant. Here's this new sign this, of this new covenant. The sign of this covenant is circumcision. And I'm sure at some point around there, Abraham was like, hey, God, Noah got a rainbow. Like, could I, could I get a different sign of the covenant, the promise? I would really appreciate that. But then we can see very clearly how God gave Israel the deed to the land that is Israel and exactly where that land is mapped out. It gets very specific when the Israelites come into the promised land, but God gives a general border in Genesis 15, 18. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said, your descendants, I give this land from the Wadi of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates, Israel. The Bible also prophetically talks about Israel a lot 
things that have not happened yet, but many things that have happened. The prophetic books where you can read about this are Isaiah and Jeremiah and Limitations, Ezekiel, Daniel. We're not going to do a deep dive into that. But one thing that is important to understand, and many people don't know or realize, that the Hebrew people lost the land that God had given them, lost the land in 586 B.C. to the Babylon Empire and King Nebuchadnezzar II, okay? So for 2,500 years, the people, the Hebrew people, were without a sovereign nation and for the most part were scattered. That land did not exist without a dominating foreign power for 2,500 years. The Babylonian Empire, the Persian Empire, the Greek Empire, the Roman Empire, the Byzantine Empire, the Arab Empire, the, the Mamluk Empire, and finally the British Empire. It wasn't until 1948, 75 years ago, that the nation was restored. Until that, they had no exclusive homeland, no government, not even a common shared language. The word actually prophesied about that in Zephaniah, that a lost or forgotten language would be restored. So now they have all those things. They have this nation. That is why protecting Israel, protecting its borders, that land is so important. It is not political. It's biblical. So you have to have some context. But what about the end times? I think that there's something in all of us that want to know when something is gonna to come to the end. Like we start experiencing this even as small children. If you've ever done any kind of a road trip with your kids, how many times do they ask, are we there yet? How much longer is it going to take, okay? When I was a kid, I wasn't too smart. And I would ask questions like, how many more towns? Because when I was right, it's like, I would wake up when we go through a town. Right? Or I'd, or I'd quit doing what I was ever doing to try to entertain myself. And y'all remember when we had to entertain ourselves without video games? Like ABC games and you turn anything in the car into a gun and shoot the cars that are around you? Like, you know, like you just, we just have to entertain ourselves. But I'd ask my dad, dad, how many more towns? He's like, son, there's three more towns. And I'm like, yes, that's not very many. He's like, there's a thousand miles between each of them. All right. So that's, that's not the best way to measure, son. I'm like, right, right. Not sure what the better way is, but I, I, I grew, I learned eventually. But we want to know when the end of something is coming. I will say this, you know, being married, having kids, if we're going to go and watch a movie at a movie theater, I guarantee you, we are checking how long it is, and when it's gonna be over, right? Especially when your kids are younger because as much as you wanna watch a movie, I don't care how good that movie is. If that movie winds up interfering with bedtime, it is not worth it. Because if you miss bedtime within a few hours, your children will start manifesting demons and there is no movie out there that is worth having to go through that, all right? So we will check because if it's a school night or whatever, it's like, how late is it gonna be by the time we get home? Get everything settled, all right? So that's one of the ways I'm checking. Why, when is it gonna end? But I'll, I'm also checking because I wanna know at about what time Cody is gonna fall asleep in the middle of the movie. Because I go to watch movies, she goes to nap during movies. My wife loves $15 naps. 
and I just want to be able to prepare myself emotionally, financially, to know, okay, well, she's going to fall asleep about this time. This is when my, so we, we will trade back and forth. I'll go watch a rom-com with her every once in a while. I don't mind doing that, you know, but I like a good action movie. You know when my wife, and maybe some of you ladies can relate to this, you know when my wife falls asleep in an action movie? During the action. During the most exciting parts of the movie, she will be out. Car chase, done. Any kind of a gun battle, done. Fighting scenes, done. And then she'll wake up if there's even the slightest hint of anything romantic. Oh, a man and a woman looked at each other. What? What's going on? You know? And those are the times I'm like, we need to move through this right now. Come on. More people need to die. Like something, some, something somebody needs to get shot soon, okay? This is dragging a little bit. But we want to know when the end of things happen. How many of you are like this? You're trying to figure out what's going to be the plot. Like as soon as the movie starts, I'm already working through. Like I, I can like they're going to be the villain. That chick's going to die. She ain't smart, you know. Like you're you're just you're work you're working through this stuff. Like I'm figuring all this stuff out. I just want to let you know that if you are ever wanting to figure out the plot to any movie on the Hallmark Channel. Let me tell you, I'm gonna save you some time right now. It's easy, it's always the same ending. There's some broke dude with great hair and faded blue jeans that gets the blonde girl in the end and then it snows. You just watched every Hallmark movie that has ever been created. You're welcome, we can move on. But the plot, of the Bible is all about Jesus. Why we needed him, why he came, what he did when he came, and when he's gonna come back. That is the plot. And it's important for us to have clarity about that. I don't know about you, but I grew up in a lot of different churches where there was quite a bit of end times teaching. There's been a period of time where it hasn't been as popular, right? Because it didn't seem like these things happened globally were happening as much, okay? And I think that's because since Jesus, even creation itself goes through these periods of con contractions, right? And so even with contractions, there's, they're far apart initially and they're not as intense. The closer you get, the more intense they get and the closer together they get. The word talks about that, how all of creation is crying out for Jesus, okay? So, but I grew up in churches in the 80s and 90s where there were a lot of teaching on the end times. Like I'm pretty sure I lived through like three or four potential rapture times, right? Like there was this, this guy Back in 1987, he wrote a book called 88 Reasons Why Jesus is Coming Back in 1988. How many of y'all remember that book? Any of y'all in here? Okay. Uh, in case you didn't put it together, it didn't happen. Uh, the rapture didn't happen. But this guy had the nerve to write another book in 1988, 89 Reasons Why Jesus is Coming Back in 1989. And, and, it, and it still didn't happen. Okay. And then we have all the movies, all the movies. Now, most of y'all, you may not know this, but you are blessed to have Kirk Cameron. You're blessed to have him, okay? Because 
Not every generation had that, all right? Now, I will say Nicholas Cage doesn't need to be doing anything around the end times, okay? Uh, but but you, you, you've you got left the Left Behind series. It's a, it's a pretty cool story, uh, series, great books, all that. I grew up with these movies that were made back in the 70s. And they were specifically designed to scare the hell out of everyone that watched them. And they were incredibly effective. Like they had guillotines in them where they didn't show people's heads getting cut off, but it was inferred. And, and my parents were like, we just want to bring you guys in here and watch this encouraging movie about why you better surrender your life to Jesus or this is exactly what you're going to cut out. Like seven years old, I'm traumatized, like just PTSD. And this, is what, and this is how it would play out. If we went to a store, if I was in the grocery store, if for some reason I got separated from my family for like 45 seconds, I would start sprinting the aisles screaming, yelling, mom, dad, oh God, it happened. I've been left behind. And the, that song would be playing in my head. The sun has come and you've been left behind. And I'm like, oh no, it happened to me. I just want to clear this up. Uh, we believe that kids will be raptured. There's an age of accountability, but we believe that every child that has not reached that age of accountability, they'll be raptured, Okay. So the tricky thing is, what is the age of accountability? Only the Holy Spirit knows that. But we do believe that kids, innocent kids, so we don't have to, you don't need to try to scare the hell out of your kids. You can trust the Holy Spirit to bring conviction to where they have a personal relationship. Because my experience is typically the people that have those experiences where they're like, I just don't want to go to hell. They'll make a commitment and it doesn't stick because it's not supposed to be driven by fear. It's supposed to be driven by love. It's supposed to be driven by a need, a recognition of a need to be saved, okay? So how biblically do we live with the end in mind? Number one, be on watch. Back to our text, as Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, his disciples came to him privately tell us, they said, when will this happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? And Jesus answered, watch. Everybody say, watch. Watch. Watch out that no one deceives you. Watch. Watch. So a typical day for Jesus would be that he would be in the courtyard of the temple and he would teach by day. And then at night, he and his disciples would go to the Mount of Olives and that's where they would stay. And they had just makeshift shelters that they lived in. In Matthew 23, Jesus basically had spent that whole chapter rebuking the Pharisees pretty much all day. And if you remember, these were the Jewish religious elites. And he called them things like snakes, hypocrites, whitewashed tombs, unclean, brood of vipers, guilty murders. Let's just say he didn't flow too well with the Pharisees. But in Matthew 24, Jesus says to his disciples about that temple, not one stone will be unto another. And it's important for you to get the full picture of this because I'm building, I'm building this case for how prophetically things play out. This was the most beautiful building in the world at that time, the temple. Nothing had been built like it. It was four stories high, 90 feet long, okay? Outside of the great pyramids, nothing had been built like this, nothing. And, and almost all the, the other buildings, 
the homes were like 12 by 12 foot rooms that entire families would live in, single story. So this thing stood out. It, it was made out of white Israeli stone. So pretty much from the time the sun rose to the time the sun would set, because it is up on the mount, the sun would hit it and it would glow. All right, so it was a physical beacon and, and it, was, it was something that, and, and so they come to Jesus and they say, Jesus, look at this, this is incredible. And Jesus is like, yeah, it's all gonna get destroyed. And, and the religious leaders, they didn't like that at all. It's like, how arrogant for you to say something like that. But the fact is, 45 years later, that's exactly, or 40 years later, that's exactly what happened. The Romans came in and they destroyed the temple. It was led by a guy named Titus. And you can go to Israel right now around the Temple Mount and you can actually see the stones laying on the ground from that time in 70 AD. So back to our point. They're asking Jesus, when? When? I think so many think everything's gonna happen when everything's terrible. Like everyone's gonna know because of how horrible everything's gonna get. They'll know it's time, but he compares his returning to the days of Noah. We think about Noah and we think about cute little animals getting on a big boat by twosies twosies on the arky arky, right? But, but think about it from this standpoint, it took 120 years for Noah to build the ark. So at first, people were mocking him, making fun of him, but they got bored of making fun of him after a while. And then he was just crazy Noah off there building something that didn't make sense for something that they'd never experienced or seen before. But after a while, everyone's just going back to living life. Just normal, everyday life. So that when the rains came, everyone was taken off guard. And Jesus said, that's what it's gonna be like. Two men in a field, one gone, the other not. Two women working side by side, one taken, the other one left. He also says, if the owner of a house would have known that he was gonna be robbed, he would have been more vigilant. How many of y'all ever been robbed before? Anybody ever been robbed before? Man, it is a horrible feeling. It's one of the most violating feelings. I've been robbed a couple of times. Uh, when I was younger, in one of the houses that, that somebody's letting us stay in uh, for a while, it was way outside of, of Colorado Springs. That Colorado Springs is kind of where we were trying to find work and where we were serving in our church and stuff. And this, this house we were seeing was like over an hour away. Okay, so a lot of times when we'd leave early in the morning, and my, and my, we, were, we were serving at the church like five, six days a week. So we were gone a lot. And, and one evening we got home and somebody had opened the window of my room, went into my room and stole a bunch of my stuff and then stole some other stuff from the rest of the house. And it was just the most horrible feeling, just like, ugh, because we didn't have much. I mean, I, I didn't have much at all. And so I just had a few things that were important to me and they took those things. And, and but, in, but in that moment, it's like, man, you just your sense of justice is just like, oh, so my brother and I, especially, man, like we were on this. It's like we watched some shows on how to solve these crimes. And we, we know how to do this. So we're like, there's tracks. And we're going to find those tracks. And we're going to follow those tracks. And we're going to find that guy's house. And we're going to go in and something. And, and, and we're just, we're fixated on it. But, but when something like that happens, it's a little bit like what happens when somebody cuts you off or does something that you don't like when you're driving. 
How many of y'all know you would begin to start thinking of all the ways you could have responded, wanted to respond, or should have responded, right? Right, well, that happens. When you get robbed, you're like, man, if I would have seen this happening, oh, man, I would have I loved to have caught these guys doing this, you know? Like, I would, we would have done something, right? Well, just, let's just say we own a lot of firearms, okay? We would have done something about this. But if we would have known they were coming, man, we would have, we would have been just like up. It would, nothing would have taken our attention off of that. We would have been vigilant about watching, knowing it was going to happen. When we go hunting with my dad, hunting in Colorado is different than hunting here. Uh, a lot of times you, you sit up on a mountainside and you're glassing thousands of acres looking for a bull elk or a deer or whatever. And, uh, and so it's a lot of ground to cover. So when my brother and I would go with my dad hunting, he was watching, but he expected us to watch too. Like you got it, because he knew six eyes are better than two. We're, we're gonna watch. And there were many times when we were hunting where my brother or myself, we would see the elk or we would see the bear or we would see the whatever before my dad ever saw it. We were the one that, that keyed him into it. The point is this, our, our heavenly father is asking us, watch. I'm paying attention. I need you to pay attention. And I don't need you to get distracted looking at and watching stuff that doesn't matter. You stay focused on what matters. Because we know it's coming. We have to be vigilant. We have to have awareness and readiness. That word watch, it goes right along with the word beware. Beware, beware. If you're ever at a house and your kid kicks the ball in the backyard, somebody else's yard, and you go around and it says, beware of the dog, you're watching. You got your eyes up. You're probably not even gonna go to that yard. I think a lot of people, they don't even have a dog. They got like a, like a little cat that can't do nothing, you know, can't protect anybody. But they put that sign up there because they know if they put that sign up there, probably people are going to stay out of the yard because they just in their mind, they're like, there's a killer dog. They will, it's going to be horrible if I go in there. Beware. Beware. It's dangerous when we don't watch. 16,000 people a year die because they're not paying attention to their environment. They're looking at a phone. It happens all the time at the Grand Canyon. Like that cool picture that they took that they're posting on Instagram, they're posting on Instagram, not watching, and they step right off a cliff. Again, we need to keep our eyes and our focus on the things that matter. Watch, be vigilant. Verse five, for many will come in my name, claiming I am the Messiah and will deceive many. Okay, well, this has happened a couple times throughout history. In the 17th century, there was this one guy named Rias Evans, and he deceived hundreds of thousands of people that he was the Messiah. In the 21st century, there's no telling how many people think that they're Jesus, you know, especially with all the drugs and everything that are out there. Like, there's, there's tons of people that are thinking this, but you know what's way more deceptive? It's people who think that they know more than Jesus. Or even worse, something that you can see a lot of 
people that think that they love more than Jesus. That's what's really deceptive. See, I think most of us would be like, okay, that guy's clearly not Jesus. But what about the spirit of the Antichrist? Like when the physical person shows up, I don't think that Christians are even gonna be here personally, but the spirit of the Antichrist is definitely working. And what's way more scary is when people start being led astray by this strange teachings that all of a sudden, because of the world's definition of love, that the world knows how to love even better than the standard that's given to us in the word of God and even that Jesus had. That's deceptive. That's the Antichrist. Verse six, you will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see it to it that you are not alarmed. Okay, so according to the website warsinthisworld.com, there are actually several hundred conflicts happening worldwide in 70 different nations right now. There are more wars occurring right now than any other time in history. Verse six, such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. The word for nation here is the word ethnos, meaning tribes, a race of people groups, but it's talking about races hating races. Can you see any of that happening? It says that there will be famines. The last time the study was done on this worldwide, uh, 2019, 851, uh, 851 million people were considered food insecure. 149 million people starving in 2019. How about pestilence? I don't think we have to talk about pandemics. We're all pretty familiar. But why? Because there's gonna be different mutations and variants resistant to bacteria from overprescription of antibiotics. There's more diseases right now on planet Earth than there ever has been in history. Earthquakes in various places. Uh, 20,000 earthquakes around the world every year, it's just most of them are not perceivable to humans, but that's 55 a day. But there were 16 major earthquakes just this last year of 7.1 or, or greater on the Richter scale. These are devastating. We just don't hear about them if they're not happening in major populated areas. But even sometimes when they're happening in major populated areas, we're not hearing about it because our media is only focused on the stuff that sells. But there was an earthquake with a pastor friend of mine just a couple days ago in Nepal and hundreds of people died. So this stuff is happening. Verse nine. Then you'll be handed over to be persecuted and be put to death and you'll be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith, okay? And will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people because of the increased wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. This is the gospel of the kingdom. It will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So persecution of Christians. According to Open Door, which does the major study about persecution, the top persecuted nations around the world, North Korea, Afghanistan, Somalia, Sudan, and Pakistan. 240 million Christians have high levels of persecution for their faith in Jesus daily. But we don't see much of this. Like we're naive to this, because we enjoy a Judeo-Christian culture. But that is changing rapidly. 
In fact, it doesn't even feel right to say that we're a Judeo-Christian culture anymore because of how quickly it's changing. We're beginning to see these glimpses of persecution. Even during the pandemic, there were glimpses of persecution specifically against churches. Something that's very scary is that there are people that loved, loved Jesus with all their heart, but with the current hate in our culture that we're seeing, there are people who even attended this church, leaders in our church, and now they won't even return a phone call because they found their own new faith or belief system. Watch. Watch. Number two, be in the word. Be in the word. Second Timothy chapter four, verse three. For a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires and will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. They will reject the truth and chase after myths. Now, I don't know how it is for you, but me growing up when I would read this, I would think about like cult leaders deceiving people, right? But no, it's coming from pulpits in our cities. People are finding teachers who will tell them whatever they want to hear. And that's why we say over and over, stay in the word. Because when you're in the word, when you're digesting it personally every day, but you're also in biblical community where you're talking about it, you're gonna get enough exposure to it that when somebody says, this is what we should do and it doesn't align with this, you'll say, no, I know better. I know better. That's not what it says. You're taking it out of context. You're making it fit your worldview or your narrative, but that's not what the word says. But it's interesting that so many people can be deceived. And I know we're all thinking like, I don't, I don't think I'd be that deceived that easily. It's a slow fade. It's a slow process. He is the father of lies. He invented the whole concept of deception. He is really good at it. He's not gonna come to you. Like a lot of times a little kid will come to you and lie and you just say, that's a bald-faced lie. It's clear to see it. He ain't gonna work that way. He's gonna slowly manipulate. He says that he presents himself as an angel of light, but he's the father of lies. There's lots of examples of people that could get deceived and believe in all kinds of crazy things. Flat earthers. There are people that believe the earth is flat. And don't laugh too loud because they probably sit next to you right now. But I do think it's funny because flat earthers, they're out there driving around in their cars, listening to satellite radio. I don't think so. So, obviously, it can be easy to be deceived. But Jesus described the future. He says people are going to be seduced into wandering away from the safety of truth. And that's one of the scariest things that I see right now. Great people, even godly people, believing bizarre things and following weird lies said by people with zero character. 
And it grieves me how many people I know and love that are walking right into deception. 2 Timothy 3, 1. But mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents. Young people, you need to pay attention to that. We're saying a list of some pretty serious things. And the word, the word of God puts disobedience to your parents right in alignment with all these other horrible things. The word compares rebellion to witchcraft. That's how serious it is, okay? So what I'm saying is this. There is one law that comes with a promise. That is, if you honor your father and mother, your days will be long upon the earth. Young people or older people, you need to honor your parents. It doesn't mean you have to hang out with them. It doesn't mean that they're good people. But you honor the position. You honor the office. It's very similar to honoring the office of the presidency. Like him, don't like him, whoever the president is at any given time, the Lord calls us to honor those in authority. Children, young people, you need to honor your parents. Ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying its power, have nothing to do with such people. Welcome to New Life Church. I hope you feel encouraged. But the fact is that there are famous pastors right now, even this morning, in huge churches cutting away the Old Testament or cutting away Paul's letters because they don't agree with it. But this is what the word says, 2 Timothy 3.16, all. Everybody say all. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. All of it, all of it. So back to the main text. Chapter 24, verse 10. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. Say that Greek word for turn away is the word scandaliso, which is where we get the word scandal from. And we see that there's scandal after scandal. Some have absolutely no truth to them, but some of them have truth. But people are doing things like they've gone absolutely crazy. The all-out assault on people's marriages right now is absolutely heartbreaking. It is crazy to see how easily men and women alike are being deceived by Satan himself and abandoning a covenant that they made before God because of very earthly, selfish, temporary reasons. What I would say to this is you need to upgrade your relationships. The reason why we put so much emphasis on biblical community is because you have a greater chance when you're in biblical community with people that can give you an outside perspective that they will be able to see and know you well enough that when you start to slip and when you start to start kind of drifting towards these unbiblical crazy things out there that say, hey, what's going on? What's going on with you? What's going on? That's why you need to be in biblical community. But I would say this, you need to invite people to be as candid with you as they possibly need to be. You need to invite people to tell you really hard things to hear and then you need to be unoffendable when they tell you. Because the only way that you're gonna be able to experience godly love and the kind of community, the kind of love that's gonna hold us on the right path 
through all this craziness, you're gonna have to have some people that'll say, I can see you starting to do things that don't line up with God's plan, his purpose, and his truth. And I've gotta call you out on it. If I don't, I can't say that I love you because I love you. We can't do this any longer. Stop it. And then we need to have teachable and humble hearts to receive things like that and say, okay, upgrade your relationships. Last thing is this, be a witness. Be a witness. But those that stand firm to the end will be saved. I wanna give you just a little bit of context. In Matthew 24, verse 32, Jesus talks about a fig tree and he talks about that when a season is going to begin, specifically he talks about the blooms on the fig tree, that that's the indication that summer is going to start, okay? So he's speaking about that, but it is a metaphor for what almost unanimously every theologian would believe is the, the beginning or the restoration of Israel as a nation. Right after that, Jesus says, surely this generation will not pass away before the end has come. But he's setting that within the time frame of those blooms, the beginning of the nation of Israel. So he's saying that when Israel is established, the generation that is alive, when Israel is established, that generation will not completely pass away before the end comes. And then the end will come, okay? Israel was reestablished as a nation in 1948, okay? So that generation, around 70 to 80 years old, with strength, Jesus said that that generation, when that generation passes away, the end will come. And that generation is, is fading. So the time could be really close. It could be really close. What's most important? What's most important is that you have confidence, that you have a peace that transcends understanding that guards your hearts and minds, that you're watching for the things that really matter and not getting distracted by things that don't really matter. That you look through everything through the lens of his kingdom. How is this building purpose? How is this bringing glory to God? But you can be confident. But the most important question, that, that's what every believer needs to know. There's even a more important question. Where are you going? Because if you were gonna go on a trip today and you, let's just say you're gonna travel internationally and you're gonna pack your bags, so you, you got your checklist and you packed up everything, you got your clothes and your underwear and your toiletries and check, 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 check. And, uh, got, make sure you get your passport. It's a real bummer when you get to the airport and you don't have your passport and you're traveling internationally. And so make sure you got that. You got everything you need. So you get to the airport, you get your boarding pass, you get through security. It seems to go pretty quick. It's pretty awesome. Maybe there's some favor on this thing. So you get to your gate, wait a little while. You get on the plane, find your seat. You sit down and then somebody sits down next to you, almost without exception, one of the most common questions that's gonna be asked at that point is, where are you heading to? Where are you going today? Like especially, and, and I've traveled enough, like I've heard it all, it's kind of cool. Like especially when you're traveling internationally, just hearing where people are going or coming from. And, but as I've asked that question, hey, where are you heading? You know what I've never heard? I don't know. Because if somebody's sitting on a plane, they're sitting next to me and I ask them, where are you heading today? And they say, oh, I don't know. I'm gonna call a stewardess. I'm gonna say, I think we might have a problem. 
this person doesn't know where they're going. <laughs> you don't hear that. But the fact is, there are a lot of you that have lived your life, you're checking the boxes, you're doing all this stuff, and you're on the journey, and you're in the process. But if I ask you today, where are you heading? What is your destination? You can't answer it confidently, or you can't answer it at all. And that is the most important question. And that is what God has called us and asked us to be witnesses to. That we carry the testimony of what he's done in our own lives. One out of every 30 verses in the Bible talk about eternity, heaven, and hell, the second coming, the end of earth. I think it's time that we ask everyone, where are you going? Where are you heading? Matthew 24, 14, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached to the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So we know that every tribe, nation, and tongue will have an opportunity to hear the gospel. And that is happening at an exponential rate now because of globalization, because of the internet. That part of the piece of the puzzle is happening. There's very few nations that we're aware of now or people groups that haven't had an opportunity to hear the gospel. But we also have to do our part. And that is this, it's your testimony. You don't have to be able to preach. You don't have to be, you don't have to be some great theologian. You need to be ready to give an account for your faith. And how do you account for your faith? You tell your story of what God did for you. The most important thing that you can do is live in such a way, act in such a way that the love and transformation that you've experienced because of Jesus radiates. It's clear. And then when someone says, hey, what's different? Let me tell you what God did. Let me tell you about my story and how I met Jesus. Watch, stay in his word, be a witness. Amen? Let's close our eyes, bow our heads. I wanna ask the question again. Where are you headed? And if there's anybody in this room right now that you don't have full confidence full confidence like now I know where I'm headed I know where I'm headed it could be that you're confident but you know you're not headed to heaven you're headed to hell and I just want you to know no matter what anybody would say how Hollywood would try to betray any, portray any of it you do not want to spend eternity separated from the presence of God If you're here and you don't have any confidence, if something happened this afternoon, something happened, something unexpected. Last night, one of our pastor's dads just almost literally dropped dead with a heart attack, completely unexpected. Everything seemed to be healthy, passed away. 
in a moment. You are not guaranteed tomorrow. But if you pass away, can you be confident about where you're going? Where are you headed? And if you're here and you're not sure, and you're not confident, I believe that you can leave this place being confident, not knowing all the answers, not having every detail, but being confident that you have a personal relationship with Jesus. And I wanna give you an opportunity to respond to him. The fact is this, only the Holy Spirit can bring conviction. Only the Holy Spirit can bring a person to a place where they know they need to repent. And I think that you'll know that the Holy Spirit is already confirming that right now in your heart. You can almost physically feel it right there in your chest, right there in your gut, like, man, I know that I need this. And, I, and he doesn't want it to be a decision that's made because you just want to stay out of hell. He, he wants you to make a decision because because you're desperate to experience his love. You're desperate to experience a real relationship with your creator. And so if you're here and you know that you need that, as an act of your free will and a symbol of confession, if you'd say, I need to call on Jesus, I'm away from him, I don't have a relationship with God. I want you to put your hand up right now. You don't need to worry about anybody around you, what they're saying, what they're thinking. This is between you and God. I need to call on Jesus. Let's make eye contact as soon as we do. You can put your hand down. Thank you, man. Anyone else? I need to call on Jesus right now. Yes, thank you. Yeah, got you right there. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? Yes. Anyone else? Yes. Got you, bro. Thank you. Thanks for being bold, man. Respect that. Thank you, dude. I got you. Anyone else? I need to call on Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I'm ready to surrender to him right now. Thank you, bro. Yes, sir. Yes, bro. Anyone else? just lead you in a simple prayer. The word says that if you can confess and believe in your heart that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, you pay the price, then you can be saved. So at some point you need to declare that you made this decision. You need to confess that you've, you've made Jesus the Lord of your life. And tonight we're gonna have quite a, a few of our church family that are going public with their decision through water baptism. That's a great way for you to do it. That opportunity is, is as soon as tonight for you. 
But right there, we're just gonna talk to Jesus, a simple prayer, say, Jesus, I need you. I know that my sin separates me from a holy God. But I believe, Jesus, that you came and you paid the price for my sin. You died on the cross. And I ask for your forgiveness for my sin. I believe that you rose from the grave. And when you rose, you defeated death so that I can have the hope of heaven. And you defeated the power of sin, not so that I can be perfect, but for when I make mistakes, I can come to you and receive grace. And I thank you that your grace empowers me to live a life full of purpose. And I wanna understand that. But I thank you that right now, right now, my life belongs to you. Be my Lord. I want you to take control. And I wanna live for you. I wanna live for you. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, I pray that we as a church would never forget the joy of our salvation. We'd never forget that moment that we encountered you and you rescued us and saved us and set us free. Those seasons when we were bound up with things and you help us find freedom. Those, those times we needed healing and you touched us. God, help us to watch what really matters. We thank you for the standard of your word. Help us to hunger and desire to know it. And God, continue to fill us as we spend time with you every day so that we can be salt and light to the world around us. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.